Tottenham, stick it in the goal Come on Tottenham, the pace are bloody slow You are the first team, the last team my dreams have ever seen Put on that lily white and run on to that green White Hart Lane has seen its pain, it's had its loads of nights We fought our team through thick and thin and all those glory nights And when the game is done we'll sing a song and talk it out all night Hey, Come on Tottenham, stick it in the goal Come on Tottenham, don't be so bloody slow You are the first team, the last team, my dreams have Joining me this week, Bex from Portsmouth Hello And making his debut, I'm pleased to say Wendy Coys from the Fighting Cock and Extra Inch podcast. Hello, good evening. Right, before we talk about yesterday, and as much as I'd like to de- delay the inevitable and not talk about yesterday, um, but we, we all have to, um, first and foremost, Wendy, um, it's your first time on the Tom Oxford Valley podcast. Um, very briefly, how did you get bitten by the Spurs bug? Yeah, so, uh, well, firstly, thank you very much for having me on. It's an honour to be invited. Um, I had no choice really. It was my dad's doing. Uh, I was indoctrinated from childhood. So my dad and his brother grew up in the 60s and uh, th- their dad wasn't so much into football. He followed Leeds, but but not kind of closely. And they chose teams. And at that point, there were two teams who were doing particularly well. Uh, my dad chose Tottenham and my uncle chose Burnley. And I think on balance, we just about got away with it. Uh, um, I had a Spurs bib as a baby, so it was kind of, yeah, I, I had no choice in the matter. Even if I wanted to support a different team, no option. And then in the 90s, I really got into Spurs, had a couple of heroes, firstly Lineker and then Sheringham. And my dad was always very proud that at primary school, I was one of the only uh, Spurs fans who started off school as a, a Spurs fan and ended as a Spurs fan, since so many of my friends at school changed to United due to their success in that period. So, yeah, my dad was always very pleased with me for that. Yeah, the, the 90s were a good, good time. The, the, the amount of um, United fans that suddenly sprung, sprung up from nowhere um, that... Uh were glory hunters um is that term used still today i don't know certainly when i was at school glory hunters was was um widely used um a little bit later in the podcast we'll, we'll talk a, a bit a bit about um well one of the two podcasts that, that you um that you can be found on the extra inch and also a little bit about um your coverage of the spurs youth um and we'll, we'll talk to you a little bit about that um but before sure. we before we do, let's begin by talking about yesterday. Um, Bex, if I come to you first. Oh, man, please don't. Frustrating. It was disappointing. On paper, we should have gone there and and won. And yet again, we find ourselves in a situation with two games left. I mean, it's still in our hands. We can still win those two games and finish first, never mind fourth. But it's... Um... Not helped by today's result, though. Um, yeah, I mean, you were there, weren't you? Yeah. Just soul-destroying to see it. And you think, what happened to the team a couple of months ago that we were fluid, we all looked awake, everybody looks half asleep. And to be fair, and this is an opinion that's shared by a few people, I'm ready for the season to finish. I was ready for the season to finish about a month ago, but now the players really look like their season ended at the semi-final day. That slightly concerns me that that, that, that also the players possibly... Might appear may possibly to have that same mindset that perhaps it's shades of 2015-16 towards the end of that season where we we didn't finish as well as we should have and, and we ended up finishing third rather than second 
and we know what happened on the last day um, of that particular season yeah. at, at Newcastle. Um, there's obviously a World Cup around the corner. Maybe one or two players are not. I don't want to say committed because I'm sure professional footballers are, but you know they they don't want to, don't want to pick up an injury or anything like that before before a World Cup. They've got one eye on that. I, I don't know, but it just seems ever since that glorious April Fool's Day um, when we beat Chelsea at the Bridge, um, we've been pretty poor. Um, we've had two wins since then: uh, Watford, and we weren't convincing on Monday, and Stoke, and I don't think we were that great against Stoke either and then we've just lost all the other games and drawn um, against Brighton um, it's oh tedious it's really tedious Windy were there it's, any po- it, sorry go on Bex. no I was just going to say it's really hard to watch sorry it, it, yeah um, Wendy were there any positives from yesterday it's very difficult to take positives when you lose 1-0 against a team who's who's going to get relegated um I suppose you could say that it was good to see us play with the three at the back again mm. and Wanyama as a result looked better, I thought, um, in midfield with the back three behind him. Other than that, there wasn't there wasn't really a great deal to take from the game, I didn't think. Yeah, the, the interesting you mentioned about Wanyama, I, I saw um, one or two ratings that were given post-match and he got a 6 out of 10. I, I thought he had... A decent game. I, I think his best since his injury. He, he seemed to look like the Wanyama of old. Um, he's struggled, I think, since that injury to, to regain the form that he had um, last season. The the back three was an interesting thing. So um, a lot of what I've read on so, social media, a lot of Spurs fans criticising Pochettino for playing a three, suggesting that it was too defensive. My faults at the beginning of the match and and even watching it was that actually that's not really a defensive ploy because you if you've got um a back three uh, surely it gives license for the fullbacks to push on and, and give the width to break down teams like west west brom and also i find when, when we do play with a back three um yan tends to be um tends to come out a lot more and i think actually for the large parts of that game we were pushing forward and, and the ball was in in the West Brom half and, and where we lost it really we just lacked that invention going forward and it was just a lot of sideways passes left to right right to left and just slow and predictable yeah t- totally agree I thought the formation was probably the right thing to do with Dembele being out and I do think it helped us to build better I think it does help us to build better actually I think a back three is the way to go long term the problem was that Ericsson being deeper, and don't get me wrong, really enjoyed seeing him deeper, and I, I do enjoy him playing deeper. But him playing there, although it means we shift the ball quicker into the final third, we've then got not got Ericsson in the final third to do what he's so good at, and he is our best player or one of. And we certainly miss him being around the edge of the box to be creating things. And I think that that role means that he's not always going to be as advanced as we've been used to him being. So... We were slightly limited, and unfortunately, Lamella didn't have his best day at the office. Mm. I mean, I am a Lamella fan, but I thought he had a poor game. I think he's had a, a couple of poor games recently, and he didn't look his kind of inventive, creative self. And when you've got Ericsson and Lamella misfiring, then you, you kind of you struggle to see where the creativity in our team is going to come from. And, and Kane obviously isn't at his best at the moment, so he's not going to make chances for himself. He needs someone to sort of put things on a plate for him, and it just wasn't happening yesterday. It wasn't happening all over the pitch, so I don't think anybody had a particularly outstanding game. And with they, everybody just looks 
like, I don't know, not that they don't care, but truly like they've had enough. And I think this is the way that Spurs consistently fall apart at the end of the season is probably my biggest argument for a winter break, much as I would hate it. I don't know if that would help. Because I think it's been a long, old season of football to get to this stage. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think we're 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 really struggling um, with fatigue generally. I think physical fatigue is a problem, but also mental fatigue. It's been yeah. a really tough season for some some of our players who are not the most experienced. And I think we're looking now like we've finally run out of steam. And I do pin some of that on Pochettino. I have to say, I think he's struggled with rotation throughout his tenure at Spurs and he's generally got away with it and he's you know been able to kind of flog players until they're just about spent and it's worked really really well and it does work well through that winter period where we always seem to pick up mm-hmm. a huge amount of points and he just plays the same team again and again and again but you'll find that when you're playing Champions League football it's a much tougher standard and you can't just keep picking the same team I did notice actually I was just doing a quick bit of research and I found that We've got 14 players who've played 1,000 minutes or more this season. And when you look at that compared to Liverpool, who I would say are a reasonable stylistic comparison, they have 19 players who've played 1,000 minutes or more. And I think that's partly due to some unfortunate injuries on our part. We've obviously been missing Winks for a large part of the season, Alderweireld, Wanyama, Kane, obviously, for a spell. We have had problems with injuries, but there's more he could have done in terms of rotations at key points this year, I think. So does he not rotate because he doesn't think that the players that he has to rotate in are good enough? Yeah, I think that's partly it, unfortunately. <laughs> and so I don't blame him. You look, you look, <laughs> you look and see Soko and, and Llorente and Nkudu beforehand as uh, the options. And you sort of think, yeah, you know, can totally yeah, understand why he didn't do it. <laughs> but then having said that, I'd say one, they are his signings. He, he chose those players. He selected them. He must have had faith in them. And two, and I, I would say this because I'm biased, but if he probably, properly integrated players like Walker Peters and even Onoma a couple of years ago, and they were now at the point where they'd played sort of 20, 25 matches and we were able to trust them, that would ease some of the burden in certain matches, I think, as well. On Onoma, and we'll talk about um, the youth a little bit later, um, I'm, not, I'm not a huge fan of his. I'm, I'm not necessarily anti um, I, I, I remain to be convinced um, from what I've seen, but surely it would have made more sense to have kept him at Spurs and played played him ahead of Musa um, Sissoko, for example. Yeah, I mean, I, I would go with that. I'm interested to hear what Rebecca thinks of Onomer, actually. I think he's. It's, it's lovely to see these youth players come through and to see what they can do and to see what we've got at the academy. Because with the exception of yourself, Wendy, I don't think anybody really sees. Um, I, games are very hard to get hold of. So people don't get that opportunity to see the players coming through. So he's a little raw, I think, at the Premier League level. He's not quite there. And I don't know if that's because he's not getting a run of games. He's not getting any time with the team as a, a level of consistency. So he's not getting that special time with the first team where he can train because that Pochettino is quite hard and fast, isn't he? On this is the first team and this is who's playing. And if you're not in that gang, you train somewhere else. So I don't know if, if that's that edge would be better if he was allowed more time with the grown-ups. 
Yeah, I think that's a very fair point. And I think you two share the view on Onoma of many Spurs fans. And I, I mean, there are a lot of fans who want him sold or sick of him underperforming in the first team. I would say that what we've seen of him in the first team hasn't been anywhere near his best because he's normally been played either on the wing or occasionally as a number 10. And really, he needs to be... We need to look at him. We need to see him as a number eight, which is his best position. And and it actually, for the England odds 20s, he was almost playing a holding role um, in the World Cup. And he, he did a great job there. He was always fantastic as a box-to-box player for the under-18s and then under-21s and under-23s. Um, we've not really seen him used there for Spurs. And I, I completely understand that when you break a player into the first team for the first time, it's easier to give him that opportunity in, on the wing because there's less responsibility but you're just not going to get the best out of him there. Um, I'm a real big fan of Onimar. I think he's fantastic. I kind of was just using him as an example, I guess, because my general point is we've got a really good bunch of young players who could be filling some of the squad places and taking some minutes of first-teamers to allow them to rotate out a bit more often. And Pochettino doesn't seem as willing to do that as he did in his first couple of seasons. And I, again, I totally understand that we've progressed since then. So it's understandable that he would be less willing to do that. But at the same time, we're now seeing the result of not rotating. But, and some of the early kind of cup games, they must be ideal for the young lads to give them out, not to drop our team in wholesale, but sprinkle them in with the standard first team just to give them a run out. Those have got to be the games, that, because otherwise, where do they get the experience from? Otherwise, you're back to the red nap model of loaning everybody out and then hoping they'll, they'll get first team football wherever they're loaned to championship league one whatever they'll get some experience and they'll come back to spurs as more rounded players but potch has been against that this is probably this is really the first season that we've seen that with any you know more than one or two players so i don't i don't get his if he's going to loan players out he must have an end game for them but i don't see what that is yeah, absolutely. I think the, the early rounds of the Cups are the ones. They're, they're the opportunities. And like you say, it's not about making wholesale changes and just playing a team of 10 youngsters. I think that that isn't the best way to kind of get them used to playing first-team football. It's, you know, bring two or three on, on at once. Um, and you, you could say to some degree he's did that. He played fourth, he played Walker-Peters. Um, last season he played Carter-Vickers. But I feel like he's he's not quite got the bravery he once had, and I'd like to yeah. see more of that. Yeah. On on the rotation, um, one one thing that he used to do a lot frequently um, was rotate the fullbacks um, when we had Walker and Trippy on one side, and and Davis and, and Rose. And I think this season um, the options have been limited somewhat because Rose clearly isn't the player he was before his injury. Um, he seems to be a little bit more injury prone um, and that's fine and I think Davis has, has, has had a, a good a good season but um, you've, if you've got a player in Rose who's has a propensity to get injured and can't play um, consecutive games that you, you're weakening that option on the right hand side um, the Aria signing that you know that's one which will hopefully that he'll be able to mold that player and he'll he'll be a good signing, but he's not—he's not there yet at the moment. And I and I, and I get the impression that when I look at the fullback positions, he's rotated them less often this season, and he's tended to go for Davis, and he's tended to go for Trippier tri- tri- um, more more recently. I'm not sure that he's got confidence in 
in in Rose and Uria for different reasons. And Carl Walker Peters, um, like you said, Wendy, um, he got off to a really good start this season, and, and he can play both as a right back and a left back. And it's a real shame that we've not seen enough of him. Um, I wonder whether the signing for Uria somewhat stifled his um, development and limited his opportunities. Um, yeah, I would think so. I think, um, I mean, Aurier's a project, isn't he? He, he cost a lot of money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he cost a lot of money, but he's nowhere near the finished article. Um, I, I do quite like him, actually. I think there's something about him. He's, he's kind of got that dynamism where he shifts his weight quickly and you can see athletically there's something there. There's something about him. He's actually quite smart in the final third as well, I think. He's he's got something in his game that I enjoy, but he is very error prone, uh, I, and this is always the the thing with playing young players is fans assume or or coaches assume that they're going to make errors. It's a risk if playing them because they will make it. They might make errors. Well, actually, would Walker Peters have made as many errors as Aurier has made this season? <laughs> I, I highly doubt it. I highly doubt that. Um, and Aurier's got an upside. There's no doubt about it. I think you you can work on Aurier. You can make him into a player that's worth a fair amount of money. Um, whether you really want him to be our project at this point, when we're trying to to break the top four and keep keep pace with with teams who are really starting to excel, I, I, I don't think I've. I'm, it's it's not a gamble I'd be willing to take to be honest. I, I'm at the point now where I think Aurier or Trippier. One one of Aurier or Trippier needs to move on next season, and I, don't, I actually don't know which one I'd rather mm. rather move on. But I do think we need a new right back. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I have some questions, comments from listeners. Um, David Fornell, have we run out of steam? Too many games. I think we've sort of discussed that. Um, I mean, certainly too many games or a lot of games so that's always a price of, of success that's a good thing if you've got lots of games um but perhaps the uh the fact that we we're not rotating as, as often as we we should um isn't helping matters somewhat and and you know what when you start losing games mental fatigue will will, will start to, to to set in and that, i guess that's where we are at the moment um steve stratton why is potch's game management so poor if, if the starting 11 don't pull it off we're pony starting to remind me of Redknapp. um he's also got t- a, a tendency i know a lot of fans are critical of this of the fact that he leaves substitution so late um i'm Always have the opinion that Pochettino believes in the starting eleven that he picks, and 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 you don't necessarily. If you're going to change the course of a game, it doesn't necessarily follow that just bringing on a substitute will will, will do that. Sometimes that change can come from within. It can come from moving, say, a, a, a one player from uh, one flank to the other, or, or moving positions. Um, and I think that he that's what he does, and and he's got a great belief in. In the starting eleven, that that being said, uh, eventually he does make those substitutions. And if you're asking a player to make an impact with ten minutes to go, for example, that's not really fair on the player because he's got to get into the groove of the game. So I don't know. It, it's that's one one point that certainly um, I think a lot of fans are, are critical of Pochettino. I think it's because he's so loyal. So he does he. He is very loyal to his players, but he expects that loyalty back from them. And I think that's why 
it hurt so much with Walker and Rose. The comments in the press from Rose mm. certainly on Walker leaving. Um, so he expects that team, if he's selected that team, he thinks they should go out and give everything for him to re- reflect the loyalty that he's showing in them. And I, So maybe that's behind his late substitutions or equally maybe that's just the way he likes to do it because that's fairly consistent. He very rarely makes it an early sub unless he has to. Maybe it's just what he feels comfortable with. Let's look at a substitution for yesterday. So he brought on Sun, um, I think for Delhi, was it? And whilst Lamella was still on the field, um, a lot of fans were questioning that. I don't think either of them had great games, either Delhi or, or, or Lamella. And then he brought on Mora. Uh, and then right at the end, who came on? Vertonghen went off. Um, oh, that yeah, was interesting. Lorente came L- on for the L- Lorente, right. So, um, just just remember that. Um, I don't know whether either of you um, watching it on a, at home or a stream or, or whatever picks up on this, but um, Rose's, Rose was originally going to come off, and they called his number, and then suddenly Jan got injured, and we were still allowed to make, to make the change in, in substitution. I don't know if that's within the laws of the game. I mean, I don't care. Obviously, we, we, we were able to bring, bring, bring Jan off, but it was, it was odd. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Aren't they allowed to change until the player actually leaves the field of play? That's I what I thought. That's I thought it, yeah. So they've got a... OK, they've got an exchange. Anyway, um, Lorente didn't really offer much when he came on. Um, he just looked lethargic. Um, oh, no change from the rest of the season, then? Nope. Um... <laughs> Mura, uh, I okay. So Mura needs longer. Yeah, he needs longer. But a, a lot of fans are holding him up as like the Messiah, and I, I <laughs> just don't. I think he's a really good player, and I'm and I'm really looking forward to seeing more of him next season when he's had a full preseason. But I, I just the whole thing like oh, Mora must start. He must start. I just don't really see that myself. I just think that there are other players surely ahead of him. Yeah, I think people are just desperate to see something at the moment, aren't they? And <laughs> he gives a bit of energy, and it, and it, it looks good. Um, but to be honest, yesterday he completed forty percent of his passes, created nothing, and lost the ball twice. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't great. I mean, I've used the P word on Aurier. I think Moore is a project as well. To be honest, I, I can I can see him being one to work on over the summer. Um, I do like the look of him. And he's a lot. He's a lot more feisty than I thought he would yeah. be. He's pretty good in the air as well for one. He's not the tallest. I, there's something. He's he's kind of got that tenacity that Pochettino loves. He's also a versatile player. We know that he can play a number of positions, so that will go down well as well. But he's definitely not one for now. But I think that was always going to be the case because yeah. he hadn't played a lot at PSG anyway. So it was given Poch's high standards of fitness, it was always going to take him quite a while. I think to get up to that level and to be able to play the way Poch thinks he would. Has he played a full game yet? I don't think he has, has he? He's played no. a couple of cup games, hasn't he? Yeah, he's st- um, did he start against I think he's been Rochester? subbed. Yeah. Yeah, he played 60-odd against Swansea, I think. Yeah, and I so, think he started against Rochdale away. Yeah, so I think Poch is looking at his stats in the background and going, OK, not now. Um, so, yeah, we'll, um, but I said that when he, we signed him, we'd probably not see the best of him until next season. Mm. Yeah, probably Jan- sort of January, Christmas next year yeah. will probably be coming to his own. Yeah. Um, before I go into dark, dark room, um, because talking about <laughs> West Brom is really, really depressing. Um, Toby, good to see him back. Um, I, I like 
the fact that he just looks so self-assured, so confident at the back. And um, there was one or two occasions where he was moving the ball forwards and trying to pick out um, Delhi. We've seen that before in the past, um, where, that, where that's paid off. And I think that he offers something different. Um, it's a shame that um, it looks as though, unless something happens in the summer, or Jan manages to persuade him otherwise, or, or something, it looks like um, he's off. Um, good, to, good to have him back though yesterday. Yeah, well, he's going to be such a loss. I, I honestly believe he's the best defender in the Premier League, if not Europe. I think he's just an unbelievable player, not just because he's a brilliant defender, and that's in terms of his positioning, his reading of the game, his one-on-one defending, but he's also so good in possession. And he's, he's quick switches of play. Um, he's crossing yesterday. He's put in some cracking crosses yesterday, which is something we've not really seen a great deal from him. But when he's playing on the right of a, a back three, it means he can get forward into that kind of fullback region and whip things in. And people talk about Trippier being a good crosser, but Toby put in some fantastic balls yesterday. Um, he's just such a talented, talented player, and he'll be a huge loss. He did that a few seasons ago. I remember, um, I think it was Palace away, the the, 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 the game that Deli Alli scored that goal. I can't remember if it was... It might have been, actually, his cross that led to the, led to the goal, from what I remember. But anyway, I digress. Um, but yeah... Um, j- just one other thing on on yesterday, um, Sanchez. Um, what did both of you think of his performance? I, uh, when we played West Brom at Wembley, Rondon had the better better of him, better off him on that occasion. Yesterday, I think it was evenly matched, but there were a few times where um, Rondon seemed to cause him problems, and he was out muscled. Yeah, he doesn't seem to have quite grown into his body yet if that makes sense he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's kind of got that uh, young antelope look about him yeah um rondon's a, he's a he's a tricky customer to be fair i mean he lots of defenders are going to struggle physically against rondon he uses his uh, upper body strength fantastically well and he's, he's got a good touch i suppose a decent player rondon and i thought sanchez did enough um there was one where he, he nearly got the better room and he just got a toe to the ball and nicked it and it allowed i think toby then backed him up and when he's got another player close to him that can kind of mop up he's fine i think one-on-one yeah a little iffy but on the whole much better than the the game at wembley would you would either of you swap um lorente and jansen for rondon as a, as a backup to Kane. Well, not sure yeah, stylistic no, uh, the right fit for us. I do like him. I think he's a good player, but um, a bit to admire rather than have as one of your own. Absolutely, yeah. No, I don't. Mm. Why? What have you heard then, Jav? No, no, it was just, it was just <laughs> something. It, just, just, just at the game, I was. Um, Discussing it with oh, somebody. I yeah. curiosity. Yeah, I, I can't see it. I can't see Poch going for a player like that. I thought you were about to drop some hot ATK. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. It was one of those. They, they're going to get relegated, and who, who would you pick from their team? Um, uh, yeah. we, were, we were, we were struggling. Um, uh, somebody said Ben Foster in the ground. Um, Ooh. Rodriguez is one we've been linked with in the past, but I. Don't think he's the same player that was at Southampton before his injury. So, um, yeah, right. Um, enough of West Brom. Um, we've got two games ahead. Um, comment from John Steggles. Um, we need to make 
the last two games at Wembley like a cup final and get the team over the line. Whatever the reasons for the Malays, the fans need to be positive and play their part. No excuses. I agree with that. Um, so Newcastle and Le- Leicester next. Um, Chelsea have just beaten Liverpool and closed the gap um, on us to two points. I think at one point it was ten. ten we were ten points ahead, I believe. Certainly eight. I think it, I think it might have been ten. Um, it's now down to two. Two games left. Um, the only good thing, if there's anything that we can take from that result, is that Liverpool didn't um, make any ground on on us. So if we do, and win had up, we won, had we won yesterday, yeah, that would have made us all feel a lot happier. As it Absolutely. is, it's a bit like meh. Doesn't really matter. Yep. But if all we it's still, done is increase the pressure underneath us. It has increased the pressure, but we're still in our own hands. And if we win those two two ma- two remaining matches, we can finish third. Never mind fourth. Um, can we do it? How do you see those those remaining two games? I think fortunately for us, I mean, if if we're wearing our flip flops in terms of being on the beach, then Newcastle are enjoying some donkey rides and Leicester are wearing full <laughs> Victorian bathing costumes and licking a Solero. They are fully beached up. Um, Newcastle have lost three in a row and Leicester have lost four of their, lo- four of their last five. Um, so if we think we're in rotten end of season form, then then they certainly are. And I think I could see us doing what we did to Watford, to the both of them. And by that, I mean, play poorly and stagger over the line. And I take that right now, given the fact that we were poor against Watford and we did have a bad game yesterday. I'd happily take it. It doesn't matter at yeah, this stage. Yeah, get it done. You know, yeah, exactly. Just get it done, get it sorted, get it out of the way. And let this damn fit this season just index, because I think it's just dragged on for so long. Yeah. It seems like the longest season since the last one, which, you know, may or may not be true. But, yeah, definitely, just whatever it takes, just go win ugly, that's all. I'm not too concerned about Newcastle, I think. Well, famous last words. I, I, oh, God. I, Thanks. I believe we can beat them. <laughs> um, Leicester slightly concerns me. Um, totally agree with you, um, Wendy, that they are, you know, their, their form's, been, form's been pretty poor of late. My only concern is, um, going back to last season, when, when we played them at home, um, they, their fans were giving it a lot because of um, you know, winning the league the previous season and, and us finishing third and, and and all of that. And they seem to raise their game against us. I'm just slightly concerned that they could be our bogey team and they could make it difficult. I think whatever the outcome, and yeah, we'll, we'll all take a scrappy 1-0 win um, for both matches because that will see us over the line. But I, I think it's going to be tight. It's really going to be squeaky bum time. Ah. Uh. Why do we support Spurs, eh? Um, <laughs> because we've got no option. That's the way it works. That is the way it works. Um, right. Bex, how have the Spurs ladies been doing? Have they been doing any better than the men? Well, um, well, obviously last week when they won 6-3 was nice. They played midweek and drew one all, which was a bit disappointing. Wendy Martin put them into the lead on 72 minutes. And then, actually, just like the blokes, their heads were walkabouts and they conceded in the 76th. And that was the final score. So it leaves them again, still mid-table. Still not a bad season. I think the girls have done good. Um, okay. Um, Wendy, um, some of our listeners um, would well, listen to other podcasts um, like The Fighting Cock and, and The Extra Inch. Um, uh, if they don't already listen to those podcasts, I would thoroughly recommend bo- both. Um, complete contrast between the two. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Um, 
the extra inch, um, it's. Um, please feel free to interrupt and correct me anywhere along the line, but it's uh, a more uh, football podcast rather than a necessarily a Spurs oriented podcast, and it, and it and it centers more on things like tactics and and it's essentially timeless. Is that a fair description of it? Yeah, I'd say so. So, I mean, it's been going since 2016, but we've really we've we've split the two in a more formal way now. So there's two separate podcast feeds and the extra inch is um, going from strength to strength. So I'd say we're, we're kind of trying to take it in a slightly different direction from the fighting cock, taking elements from the fighting cock, but doing it in a slightly different way. So it's recorded in a studio. Uh, we're very lucky that we've, we've got um, Kayvan who, who you might know from I win the Spurs. He's also been yeah. fighting cock a few times. He's, absolutely wonderful guy and has very kindly let us use his studio space for uh, recording the extra inch um so it sounds quite different and that automatically means it's got a different feel to it I've, we've been joined obviously i've got bardi who's um just just one of the dickheads from the fighting cock um who also <laughs> happens to be a, a, a good mate of mine um and nathan clark who used to be talking tottenham tactics on twitter who is just a, a brilliant Brilliant football mind, shall we say, without trying to blow too much smoke up his backside. Um, and we've had some fantastic guests so far. So we've had Michael Cox, who is on the, well, he's on all sorts of podcasts, but at the moment, Totally Football Show. He's a regular. He's also written a very good book called The Mixer, and he's probably best known for uh, running the Zonal Marking website and writing a column in The Guardian about tactics. We had Duncan Alexander from Opta to talk about analytics and stats and that kind of thing. He was fascinating. We had a really good episode with Dan Kilpatrick and Jack Pitbrook talking about covering Spurs from a journalistic point of view and being the kind of beat reporter and getting the inside track and going to press conferences. So we've had a nice kind of varied mix. Like you say, it's meant to be more slightly more timeless, more thematic. So we'll pick a subject and we'll go deep into that subject. Uh, we had Priya Ramesh talk about Dutch football and the links be- between Spurs and, and Ajax and the like. That was also another fascinating listen. Um, so, so far, so good. It's been going really well. I love doing it. I host it and uh, make occasional stupid comments. Bardi's just fantastic with his kind of football history and particularly focusing on Italian football. And Nathan's really into kind of tactics and analytics. So a, ni- a nice mix. And I think it's so far, it's going, it seems to be going down quite well. I love the um, the bit at the end that you do, the further reading section. Um, so uh, you, are, you go around the um, panel and ask Bardi and, and whoever else you, you've got on... Um, that week um what books or podcasts that you're listening to or reading um and it, and it's uh if if you if your interest in football is beyond spurs and i know a lot, lot of spurs fans are very much spurs oriented but if, if you like football and if you like the tactics tactics tactical side of the game um i, I love that part of it because it's um you, yeah it's, it's a great um great tip at the end um to see what, what else is out there um yeah thank thank you very much for picking up on that that's something we just kind of just came to me at the last minute and we just thought pop it in there because actually word of mouth is normally the way you you hear about all these quirky podcasts and books and articles uh, and sometimes episodes of match of a day where there's been a particularly good bit of analysis or something like that um and it's just a, a nice way to kind of share something that's piqued your interest in that week or month and, and I suppose, unlike 
for example, this podcast or the Fighting Cop podcast and, and, and other Spurs podcasts, um, I often find when I'm listening to um, Spurs podcasts, I generally tend to make sure I listen to the, to all of the podcasts within the week before before the week is over. Otherwise, I feel and everybody's different. Some people um, will will listen to podcasts later on when when they get time, and that might be uh, you know, several months down the line. But I feel with with a Spurs podcast, you've got to listen to it that week because otherwise it becomes dated. But with the extra inch, it's you could listen to it six months down the line, and it'll still be normally uh, relevant. Yeah, that's definitely been an intention. So we try not to talk directly about the match that's just happened. We try to talk more generally about the season or a period of matches and, and our progression as a team. Um, for that very reason, that people might want to go back to it or, or might listen, you know, six months down the line. Um, and I think it I think it works well so far from from that perspective. We are, I think potentially looking at doing some world cup podcasts so that will be a bit different whereby it'll be much more reactive um we're just kind of toying with the idea at the moment we, we're probably going to do a skype podcast for our next one to experiment with new microphones and trying to record uh, speech on skype and then do some kind of reactive world cup podcasts. so hopefully that'll be interesting as well when's when's the next um episode is it likely to be a world cup one i think we'll have one more around the end of the seasons, probably some kind of end of season wash up. And then, yeah, maybe a few world cup podcasts. If, if the Skype experiment goes well. Excellent. Look, look, really looking forward to the, to the world cup one. It does tend to be a lot more grown up than the fighting cock. It's a lot more civilized. <laughs> <laughs> well, what can I say? I'm uh, just so much more mature. than those I actually, I oh, said God. to, um, uh, I can't remember what game it was last season. Um, one of the, last or penultimate home games um and i saw bardi in the um the number eight pub um in, in the in the beer garden and i was talking about and i and i said to him i actually like i like the contrast i, re- I love listening to the fighting cock, cock for the at times childish puerile humor um that's not everybody's cup of tea and i lo- and i love the contrast and, and listening to um the extra inch um so it's uh yeah Something for everyone. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the other thing I, w- I want to um, talk to you about um, is so, if anyone listens to the Fighting Cock, you've got this section each week where you um, uh, you've got a report, a, a short report on all the youth players, and also actually any players that we, we've got um, loaned out. And again, anyone, I'm sure there are people who might not really listen to the Fighting Cock, but will follow you on Twitter. Um, you. Go to a few of the um, quite a few of the youth games, and um, you you write, tweet about, um, blog even about um, the youth players. How did that all come about? What, what sort of motivated you to um, to do that? So I, th- I, I was trying to think about this in preparation for. I, I think the reason I got into watching the reserves and the youth teams so much was. Firstly, I was brought up in Hemel Hempstead, which is quite near St Albans, and we used to play our reserve matches at Clarence Park in St Albans, so my dad would sometimes take me along to those games. So that's probably kind of how I got in, into watching reserves. I used to always get the handbooks as well at the end of each season, and I'd always make a point of looking at the youth players and the reserve players, and you know, being a, a, a 10-year-old nerd, I'd go and look at you know how many goals the youth team striker that year had scored and that kind of thing. So that was probably how I 
first got interested. And then, um, yeah, following on from that, I, I guess I saw a couple of pre-season friendlies where probably in the, the a couple of years before the Ryan Mason year, um, saw some of these young players, was really impressed and decided I'd, I'd go out to Chigwell to Spurs Lodge and watch a couple of the youth games, which I did. And at that point, we had a really exciting batch of young players. I saw Mason as a 16-year-old. He was playing basically as a striker with Jonathan Obika. Um, we were a really, really good team. Um, John Bostock was in the team, Dean Parrott. And we were kind of playing a fabulous brand of football. Obviously, it was free to get in. There was no one there. It was one man and his dog. You sometimes stood next to the parent of a player that's playing in the in the match so you got a bit of insight there as well which was quite cool and just got interested in, in going on to more of those and I ended up doing an interview with John McDermott who was the Spurs Academy manager and John O'Beaker who was the forward at the time which again just made me my interest grow and just never went away I've always enjoyed since then going to as many youth games as I could um, this season I've had a year off the under 18s I've various reasons but primarily that it's kind of a three-hour round trip trip for me to get to Enfield on a Saturday morning which isn't ideal when you've got other things to be doing so I've had a year off but I'm going to try and go next year more regularly but I've seen a fair bit of the under-23s this year both in person and um, via web stream so I feel like I've kind of been in touch still with what's been going on and you, you occasionally get to see highlights depending on which clubs put out highlights and you get to see some streams so it, if you're interested in watching youth football there's always stuff out there um if you look hard enough on the on youth foot, football um we've had obviously had a few players for the last few years kane winks notably um that have emerged into the first team and, and, and made a real impact um there's been a lot of others that haven't um, haven't made the same impact um, and have moved on. Um, of the current crop of players, um, obviously we talked about Walker Peters earlier um, and Onoma, who's on loan. Um, the other two, well, um, one name that's often mentioned a lot is Marcus Edwards. Um, can he? Do you think he can really cut it? Because I, I I've seen him once. Um, uh, against Gillingham in the cup, and he looked fine. He looked really good. It was an impressive cameo performance. Um, but everything that I've heard from yourself and from others is that his attitude isn't great, and I'm starting to have doubts as to whether we will he will fully realise his potential. I just feel so sad about the whole Edwards thing. But at this point, it's ugh. I, I was I stuck up for him for so long, and I, to be a, to, to an extent, I will stand. I still stand up for him. Um, so so Edwards is a funny one. There there have always been rumours about his personality being a bit difficult, about him being quite sulky. And I remember seeing him as a fourteen or fifteen year old. He was really young, and I he, I saw him stomp off the pitch, absolutely furious with his performance in the match. And I, I did think to myself at the time, guys, you know, even even for a teenager, he's a he's a sullen little shit. And he, I don't know, pe- people make assumptions about about young footballers, and often they're wrong. 
on this occasion, it seems like there's been hints of it being right. So at Norwich, his his loan was cut short and it came out that essentially he'd been late to every training session, that he wasn't integrating with the rest of the players in the Norwich squad. He's not a very good communicator. He's quite introverted. And I think that's a problem. I think it's a problem for Edwards and I think it doesn't reflect very well on our academy. And I think as a result of that, Pochettino is going to have... <laughs> A difficult conversation with Edwards in the summer, I imagine, and try and try and point them in the right direction. But whether that happens or not, who knows? In terms of ability, he's phenomenal. He's in the top five youth players I've seen whilst at, at Spurs, whilst watching um, the various youth levels. Um, others in that category, I'd say, are Harry Kane, Josh Anima, Kyle Walker-Peters, and then probably Milos Velkovic would probably be in my top five yeah. as well. He was phenomenal and now plays centre-back for Werder Bremen. Um, and the next tier down for me would probably be the likes of Luongo, who's now at QPR, Ben Taleb, who's at Schalke, Ryan Mason, Stephen Corker, Andros Townsend. So there, there's been a lot of good players, and Edwards is amongst the very, very best of them. Technically, he's absolutely superb. Whether he can correct whatever's going on and, and become focused and become what he has the potential to become, we can but hope, because it's such a waste if he doesn't. One thing I would say is that everyone's different. All young people, young players are different and we sometimes try and put people in boxes and actually it's not appropriate to do that. And Tony, We had Tony D on the Fighting Cock podcast a few weeks ago and he's he does some work in education and he was saying, he said something quite profound about Edwards and young people in particular. He said, Edwards will just be reacting to the world around him and he, that's very true. He's He can only be what, is going on in his life, if you see what I mean. So mm. not every young player and young person is going to be a Harry Kane because they won't have always been, you know, in the same place as Harry Kane throughout their lives. So trying to expecting that is, is unfair. Um, but let's just hope he turns it around. So I heard, sorry, I heard that Tony D thing and thought that was really, really valid. So you need to fix him as a person before you can make him become the player that he's capable of becoming because he is shaped by his experiences. And I don't think the time at Norwich was good for anybody, um, which is a shame, really. So the team, Spurs need to put an arm around him, whatever they need to do, to make sure that he can become the best that he can become. And while some of that is in his hands, he can only be guided, and, but he will need to be guided by those around him who have seen it all before. Yeah, I totally agree. And it would be such a shame, I think, if they let, if, if they don't, I, I don't know how much effort they've put in already, but if they don't put in a little bit more just to get him that more even keel, so he is yeah. maybe more focused on his football. Definitely. I, I think that I, I really struggle with this one because I completely can see it from Spurs' perspective, but I can also see it from Edwards' perspective. So I remember when he was about to sign his first pro contract, Spurs have a fixed amount they give to all young players when they sign their first pro and Edwards being Edwards and being one of the best young talents in England at the time wanted more than the fixed amount and from so for so many reasons you can see why he would demand more because he was the best young talent in the country but from Spurs' perspective why would they give him why would they single him out to give him more than they've ever given to any young player signing their first pro and then that kind of created this argument going on about 18 months. He eventually signed a contract. He signed on for three years, I think, eventually. Maybe it was two years initially. And then, obviously, he got his debut and Pochettino made those comments about him being similar in style to, to Messi. 
And following that, Pochettino made some comments in his book via Guillaume Balaguer, where he said that Edwards, I forget the exact wording, but he basically said that he struggles with authority. And I really thought that was inappropriate. At the time, Edwards was 17, and I thought it was inappropriate to be essentially calling out a child in in that way. Um, So I sort of can see it from both perspectives, and I don't think either's done themselves proud shall we say, but both Edward certainly needs to meet Spurs half halfway on this one now, I think, after his behaviour at Norwich. Aside from Edwards, I mean, uh, Rio Griffiths, he's, he's been talked about recently, there's been, there's been a lot of hype about him um, and and the, uh, the fact that he's possibly not going to stay with us and, and is looking... Um, I can't remember if it was on the fighting cock or, or, or something I read, um, but I think you, you said something like that situation might have slightly changed or improved. Um. Yeah, so it's kind of following the theme of contract dispute. <laughs> he's he's another one who apparently won't sign a contract. Um, I don't I don't know why, but I can only imagine it will be because he perhaps can't see a route through to the first team at Spurs, and at this point, it's it's difficult to blame him. Um, Griffiths is a really interesting player. He's only recently converted to a striker. I think he was a fullback two years ago. He was a, then a winger for a best part of the season, now a striker. Essentially, this season, he scored 34 goals in all competitions at various levels and got 12 assists as well. He's a bit of a battering ram. He's a, a real... Um, he's, he's kind of a predatory player in many ways. Um He's got he's got some rough edges to smooth out, but I really like Griffiths. I think there's a lot to work with there. But English players at the moment are not being brought through by the majority of English clubs. And you look at Jaden Sancho, who's gone abroad, gone to Dortmund and is now playing for their first team. You look at Lukman, who's gone to Leipzig on loan and he's scored some goals. Um, and you sort of think, yeah, fair enough. Go go abroad, get your experience there. If you can't find a route through to the first team in England, then look abroad, and, and they're willing to take risks on young players in, in continental Europe. Is there any putting you on the spot here, but is there anybody that, um, any player or players that you think can be the next, not necessarily the next Harry Kane, but, but like Harry Kane and Harry Winks, breakthrough and Carl Walker-Peters breakthrough into the first team? I do. I think, well, so Walker-Peters is one I am absolutely not giving up on. He's he's 21 now, same as Onoma, um, but Walker-Peters is a fantastic player. I'm absolutely gutted that he's not played more than he has. I think when you look at Alexander-Arnold and the chances he's had at Liverpool, um, how much he's come on and that is now trusted as a first-team player, I look at that and I think if only we'd had the same faith in Walker-Peters rather than signing Aurier. I actually thought two years ago Walker-Peters should have been playing more and that would mean by this point he'd be first team ready but there we go so he's he's certainly won uh, and then Onima I still haven't lost faith in but that's a bit more up in the air but then I think we've got some some major talents bubbling below the surface as well Oliver Skip who's 17 is a terrific young centre like midfielder him. he's got something about him he's uh, he's got real drive and determination but he's also got um, a lot of technical ability he's He's played centre-back a lot this year, but he's primarily a kind of combative midfielder. Really like Skip. Really, really impressed with him. I like Jaffet Tanganga as well, who's a 19-year-old centre-back. He doesn't seem to have had many plaudits and hasn't really trained with the first team, from what I can tell, a great deal. 
So perhaps he's one that will go on the end of season tour and we'll see more of him then. But we've also got another young centre-back called Brooklyn Lyons Foster, who's 17. He's just had a really quite bad injury. I think he's broken his leg or, or had a ligament injury at least. But he's had a strong season at centre-back. He's a real ball-playing centre-half. Um, kind of, if you sort of think John Stones in style, um, it kind of gives you an idea of the type of player he is. So he's, he's definitely one to look out for as well. Um, there's it, there's some really good young players in the kind of under 16s as well, but at this point you can't really get a feel for which ones of those are going to become anything special. It's almost too soon to say. Um, the only other one worth mentioning because he's a name that's starting to get known, I think, is Troy Parrott, who we've signed, who's uh, an Irish centre forward, uh, who's an under 16, will join the academy next year um, as a as a first year scholar. And he'll be playing up front, I imagine, with Griffiths promoted, if he's, if he's still around, Griffiths promoted to the 23s. And Parrott, Parrott will be one to watch. Mm. Interesting to see this summer in the pre-season um, in the States, um, which of the young players get to travel with the with the squads. Um, was it Winks a few seasons ago got that opportunity? Yeah, I think Winks got an opportunity, but also some really... Uh, we've had some... We've taken some players on... on post and pre-season tours that you wouldn't necessarily expect so uh, Will Miller got a few yeah. outings um, since since moved on and was playing for Burton still I believe um, Georgie last last summer um, Jaden Brown even travelled John Dinsay travelled so we have got um, previous for taking young players and, and sometimes the unheralded young players um, along even just for the experience so I think I think there'll be a few going along and I guess with this being a World Cup year as well they're more likely to take some more of the youth along um, most a lot of our first team players will be involved in the World Cup, and will obviously be quite tired. States before states in June, or states just after the World Cup. Yeah, be July. Yeah, mid, mid, middle late July. So I think they'll probably, and then Australia was last year, wasn't it? So I think they'll probably rely more on to bulk out the squad because I'm fairly sure a lot of their first teamers will be, depending on how well they do. Obviously not the English team, um, will be a little bit. Need of a break. Okay. Um, Let's finish off with a few questions. I will try to get through as many of these as possible. There's quite a few. Um, Richard Healy, how can you coach grinding a result out? If the answer is signing winners, how many do we need to push this group over any line? Hmm. Yeah, difficult to coach that. I think there's there's a few things associated with, with grinding a result out. Um... I remember when Winks was coming on and being our closer of games uh, and was trusted to do that job when he was first breaking into the, into the first team. And it kind of, that's what we've missed in, in, a, in a sense these last few games. You, Winks being out has been a big loss. And Lamella as well was ideally suited for that role of grinding a game up. But of course, he's starting because others have kind of lost form. Um, you'd, you'd say that Dembele would be, would be perfect to come on and see a game out as well because if he's intelligent use of the ball so if he, if he were to stick around then then that'd be a good thing but i think it's about it's about intelligent possession it's about um not making too many low percentage passes it's about gamesmanship of course winding the clock down and, and doing the thing like keeping the ball in the corner that kind of thing and it's about sometimes actually just defending deep just dropping the line 10 15 yards back and defending that bit deeper which i don't think is something that this team is terribly good at unless they're forced to because it's so much about a high press that they don't 
it doesn't seem to cross their minds. I know. Let's just sit back and let this happen because they are so constantly pushing forward. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's something we should have done against United, having been one up, and also yep. against Juventus, we should have been dropping deeper, and we didn't. I think experience. I know we've got experienced players, and like Larice and um, the, 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 the the lads are at, at, at Ajax, but experience of winning in England and winning Premier League titles and an old head, I think, is something that's lacking. But I, I can't see. So, for example, a few years ago, I would have liked us to have signed somebody like um, Michael Carrick or, or, or the lad who was at Leicester. Um, Cambiasso. Cambiasso, before they won the league. Yeah, somebody like that. Would he have? Would that player have been available? Would he have necessarily fitted into the Pochettino moulds? Would they have been able to play that high press? Um, perhaps not, but I think somebody like that. In, in a sense, Winks, I think, does that really well because he's... He's able to hold the ball. He's a good passer. He can close games down, as you said, Wendy. Um, but uh, I'd like that sort of player, but with a certain level of experience um, and knowing what it takes to get over the line and win trophies. And I don't think we've got too many of those. No, I saw earlier um, Sammy Kadira is talking about wanting to potentially play in the Premier League and he's exactly the right kind of player um no idea if we could afford these wages but that would be a, mm. a smart signing if he's a, if he's if it's possible we did it before when we had Edgar Davids it's that same kind of player isn't it bit of experience yeah. behind them who's happy to coach the kids as well through it yeah yeah I mean if you look at United um in the 90s when they had um you know the, the, the class of 92 they had a lot of young players there but they still had a few experienced heads the likes of Cantona Pallister, um, Irwin, etc. Um, that Schmeichel were able to offer that experience as well as having those young, young players, and, and maybe that's what's lacking. And maybe also just winning a trophy, just winning that cup, and just getting over the line. It's, it's a mental thing, and once once we do that, um, it will help us push on. Um, Ed Brad, tactically naive and mentally weak when it comes to the crunch. Has Pochettino taken us as far as he can? Be it due to the be it due to the club's restrictions or his own weaknesses. I, I don't think he's taken us as far as he can. I think there's more to come. I would say, I think it's easy to forget sometimes that he's still developing as a manager. He's he's relatively young for a manager. He's only nine years into his career himself. Um, and and they've said in the last couple of weeks that we're we're ahead of where we'd expect be expected to be in the kind of long term project of of Poch's Tottenham. And I think we sometimes forget that. Um he's obviously hamstrung by the wage structure. I think that's an issue. He's hamstrung by the amount of money we can spend on individual players and who we can attract. And obviously not necessarily always being able to hold on to our best assets as well. We saw Walker go last summer. I would expect Alderweireld and Rose will go this summer. Um, we might also lose a few others along the way as well. Mm. Um, but that that is that does make life difficult because you then have to constantly be planning for the future and succession planning, and it's not always easy and it doesn't always work. It's worked. It seems to be working relatively well with Davinson Sanchez and and Alderweireld, but. It didn't work so well with Walker and Trippier, in my opinion. He's only 46. Mm. So, you know, in terms of football manager, 
Wenger is what about 105 and he's just retiring now. So yeah, I just think he needs. He can be tactically naive, but then it's easy for us to say that. Sat in at home or sat in the stadium, you don't know what he's what cards he's playing with. Um, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch also. And I know he said in his book that he doesn't care about contracts and the press and stuff like that. But I think that's um, disingenuous of him. I think he's very aware of what the players are saying and what else is happening in and around the club because that's why he has the loyalty from them. Um, but yeah, I don't quite know what you expect, really. What would you choose? Poch, as we have now, or AVB? Bit of a no-brainer there. Um, <laughs> I think no-brainer. <laughs> uh, I, I think um, he's certainly taken us a lot further given the restrictions or the perceived restrictions yeah, well, well they are restrictions if you, if, you, if you compare our relative spending to the other five teams around us at the, at the top of the table when it comes to player acquisition but particularly wages um, it's a lot less um, and I think if, other, if there was another manager or coach um, would they be able to do what he's done consistently over the last few years with with the limited resources that we've got, and if if you throw in throw into the mix the fact that this season we've played um, arguably thirty eight games away from home, we've been handicapped somewhat, and it's still amazing that he's done what he's done. That um, leads me nicely to the next question: Kent Goodrich. Some of our more emotionally incontinent supporters are calling for Poch to leave. They are idiots, but okay, I'll play along. He says, if Poch did leave, who replaces him? Who could do a job better under Levy's financial financial controls? Is there such a manager out there? I don't think so. I quite like Potch. I don't think he's done anything to screw up. All right, he might. We might not be. Again, it's that sense of entitlement, isn't it? But we've done really well, and we should be at this stage. Why? Why should we be there? I think we're doing okay as we are. I'd rather leave the experiment to run for another couple of years and see what that brings us. But I don't think there's any reason for Poch to leave. However, stroppy bastard fans might make him decide that he's going to go. I mean, I think it speaks volumes that if he were to go, he would go up. He would be going to a better club. He'd be going to a Paris Saint-Germain or or whoever. Um, and, And that's because he's seen, and rightly so, as a fantastic young manager... Um, I don't want to imagine a life after Pochettino at this point. <laughs> I, I find it quite upsetting. Um, I think we have to sort of remember what position we were in when he took over and lots of us had basically started to fall out of love with Tottenham and he's made us fall back in love with, with our club. Um, those first couple of seasons where he made youth players such a prominent part and the way he brought Kane on and, and made him the kind of figurehead of the club meant everything. Uh, to me as a fan and, and uh, particularly as a, a youth watcher um, and he's, he's given us some amazing amazing memories so far and hopefully many more to come I think also it's not you can't undervalue the fact that he's got a good relationship with Levy and Levy is notoriously not the easiest person to get along with and they do seem to actually have bonded certainly from, from what I've read in, in the book yeah um, I struggle with naming other names of managers who who could come in and do a job. I mean, I I, I like Simeone, but I think he would clash with Levy. He's, he's oh yeah, he hasn't quite got the temperament of Pochettino. Too much fire. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, you look at the names that are linked with Arsenal and only the, uh, the Monaco coach. Is it 
Jardim, I, th- I think he's he's one that I like, but I, I I really don't know if I'd want to go for any of these names as a as a potch successor. It's 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 a scary thought. Let's let's not even go there. It's a, it's a horrible thought, and also you know as well as the fact that the relationship between those two is so good. Um, if you bring another manager in now, you, you you're effectively starting from scratch. Um, firstly, it will no doubt lead to an exodus of some players who obviously have a loyalty, just as he has a loyalty to them, to Pochettino and, and like him. Um, I think it would create a massive domino effect if Pochettino left for whatever reason. So that would that would screw things up. But also, any new manager that's going to come in, they've got their own ideas. They're going to, you know, from the first team to the, whole, the way the whole club is run, and you're starting again from scratch. And I, I don't really want that. Um, so, yeah, um, let's not discuss that any further. Um, talking of Exodus players, um, we had a question on Twitter from at 80 underscore Spurs um, who asked, is there anything more Spursy than having arguably the best back four in the world and likely selling three of them in a year? Um, just to expand on that... Um, I just thought it'd be good. Good point. We sort of touched on this a little bit, but good point to discuss um, outgoings this this summer. So potentially we could look at Toby, um, Danny Rose, possibly Janssen, Lorente, Soko, Inkundu, maybe Onoma. Um, now, now, now it starts to, to drag on a bit. Dembele has been linked, possibly. I've read somewhere about Wanyama. I can't see that myself, but potentially that could be a lot, a lot of players going out in the summer. Could. I know this is just I know this is just speculation, but um, there's quite a few on there that are probably um, going to be out of the door. Well, yeah, I'm guessing some of that will depend on how their world respective World Cups go, because that will push up prices of any that we are eager to see out of the door. Mentioning no names, but Sissoko is probably the highest candidate on most Spurs fans' lists. But even so, if they go, they go. It's can't change it. You can't do anything about it. All you can do is see what miracle occurs next. Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting summer because, one, we've got the the World Cup and I think it's notoriously trickier to do business in a summer where there's a tournament ongoing. But also we've got the transfer window shutting before the season starts, which kind of changes everything in the way Spurs do business and it shifts timelines significantly. And it sort of means we have to do business a lot earlier than we've become accustomed to doing. And Levy has kind of banked on that gamesmanship in the last week of the window um, to drive prices down. And he, he probably won't be able to do that quite so well, particularly with the World Cup ongoing. So we're going to have to get our act together, identify targets and, and get them in quickly. I think you're right that there will be lots of players leaving. Out of our old seems to be gone from, from what we're reading from reputable sources I'm pretty sure Rose will be going I'd agree that Janssen and Llorente will both leave I can actually see Sissoko sticking around you know I mean I, I would like to see himself but I it wouldn't surprise me if he stayed and Kudu will go I'm sure I'd, I'd give Yonema another year at least I think Dembele is starting to realise that he cannot cope with um, 90 minutes week in week out in the Premier League anymore which is just such a shame but a reality um, so there's a lot of business to do. Some there might be some promotions from within, but I think there will be probably five or six new signings this summer, which is probably more than we become used to under Pochettino, mm. and it does change things a bit. 
So it'll be interesting. I mean, there's lots of room for error there, but also we've, as we've discussed already, some of the rotation options haven't quite been up to it. So there's there's opportunity there as well. And there are lots of players available who are talented, particularly with some of the, the bigger clubs sort of going down this year slightly unexpectedly. There's there's potential to get players in from some of the relegated teams. Okay. Um, final couple of questions. Um, we had one from Kent Goodrich on on rotation, but we sort of discuss, discuss that and wh- whether it whether um, always playing our best 11 leads to a tired and jaded team. Um, another one from him. Um, Kim Goodrich asks, it should be obvious to everyone and their dog that Kane isn't fully fit. We can get away with him being out for the odd game if Sun is in decent form, but he isn't at the moment. With Lorente, no solution either. We are left with a 75% Kane who becomes a bit of a passenger. In my opinion, signing a quality striker who is not only a plan B, but actually provides competition for Kane is our most pressing need this summer. Discuss. I guess that our most pressing need this summer depends not on Kane. It depends on who leaves. Mm -hmm. Because if Toby goes, would we want to sign another central defender rather than a striker? Yeah, I think we'll definitely need a central midfielder as well. And whose priority call is that, Kent? Lovely of you to suggest it, mate, but um, I'm guessing it's going to be Poch's decision on whatever leave he can wangle. I think if we're looking at summer signings, this is quite depressing, but I think we're looking at a defender, a midfield player. Um, I agree with what you said earlier, Wendy, a right back possibly. Um uh, with one with one of the other two, um, Trippier uh, or, or Aria going out the door, um, a left back if Rose is um, isn't there um, anymore, um, and a striker, and 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 that's, that's a striker pretty... that actually can play properly and turns up for games, <laughs> and possibly <laughs> a, and possibly a goalkeeper if formed doesn't extend uh, his contract. Yeah, um, there's there's surgery so, in pretty much every position. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I do totally that... agree with Kent's point about Kane not being fully yeah. fit. By the way, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I mean, we we're kind of all saying it on on Twitter, but. It's it's so ludicrous in a sense that that Kane has just been playing despite being so heavy legs. It's I feel sorry. I feel bad watching him. We scored ten goals in those three games that he was out: Bournemouth, Swansea, and Chelsea. Ten goals in three games. Rushed him back, and we've scored seven in the next six. And unfortunately, Son's not right either. He's he's looking just as frazzled. And I worked out that he's already played more minutes this season than he has in any other season in his career with two matches still to go. So perhaps we're asking a bit too much of him as well. I think he's also played more minutes than any other Spurs player, I believe, I read somewhere. Interesting. Yeah, the him, and, him and Jan, I think. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think Son is a fantastic rotation option for Kane, and I think that's the way to go. You're not going to get a player who can do what Kane does, so you may as well get someone who can, can do two different roles. So Son mm. can play wide he can play through the middle and it gives you that versatility and that that backup option so perhaps another um son type player who can play wide and play through the middle um would would be a good compromise somebody like um dare i say it i'm not not suggesting that we're going to pull off either signing but for example somebody of the mold of um rashford or um marshall 
Yeah, either would be amazing. And Zahar has been linked, of course, as well. He's been playing up front for Palace recently. I think I, I do. I think Zahar is is okay. I don't think it's anywhere near worth what's what the fees are. I think Martial would be extortionate, and I can't see I can't see Rashford leaving. So. Mm. I think we'll probably have to be a bit more creative than that, unfortunately. But, but all three would be would be adequate. But but, but they are, um, I, yeah. Like I said, I'm not suggesting that we that we anywhere we have a sniff of chance of signing those players. But they're exactly the sort of players that can play not only as a striker but can play in behind or or, or uh, sort of inside forwards type. A bit like a bit like Sun, who've got that versatility. Yeah, um, I think that that's possible. Because I think. <laughs> be very hard pushed to find an out and out striker that that's gonna be prepared to pay play second fiddle to mm. to harry kane okay final two questions um richard healy um still haven't decided on a name for a new dog getting in june any spurs suggestions aussie <laughs> yeah yeah you can't pick a current player because the chances are they'll leave before a dog <laughs> <Yeah>. does <laughs> so go for something more long-standing um well, if you call it, you could call it Potch, couldn't you? And then when Potch leaves, you can call it Pooch. Yeah, it's that's very, not bad. It's a small vowel change. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. um, Billy for Billy Nick, Arthur for Arthur Rowe, or or if you want to go left field, um, Danny. You, obviously we we come out after the second half to McNamara's band. So there you go. You've got Mac or Mara, <laughs> depending on whether it's a male or female. Um, if we're going to go old school, let's go for um, the, a, a player from the 90s, um, Jason Dazelle. Dazelle. <laughs> um, really? <laughs> uh, <90s>. Right. <laughs> that, you know, it, it, it's exactly those sort of names, the likes of Dazelle and Austin and and that period in the 90s that... Makes to make think, anybody who lived through it think, please, God, never again. Yeah, never yeah. again. And we should be really grateful for what we have, even though we're not quite there. And even though we still haven't won that elusive first trophy under Pochettino. But we're, we're so God. much better pl- better placed as a club to do that than we have been at any point in our history. Um, we chased Andy Simpson for multiple transfer windows and would would delighted if we came in. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, don't because there's some kind of PTSD that is associated with this. Standing there, watching, begging that we would score to get to give us a tool draw against bloody Coventry. I mean, dear lord, how bad is my life got to get? Don't make it happen again. No, no, no. Can't like right. where we are now. Final, final question before we bring proceedings to an end. Um, Wendy, if it's your first time on the podcast, and we've we've got a reoccurring question that we've asked everybody um, on the pods this season, so. Um, picture the following scenario: You're on a desert island. <laughs> who from the current squad do you vote as leader? And if it all goes Lord of the Flies, who do you who do you eat first? And I suppose why? <laughs> oh dear. Okay, so um, leader, I, I've, I've been thinking. I, I was glad you gave me some time to prepare this and think about it because it's it's not an easy question. So on leader, on balance, I go for Ericsson and that's because I think he's he's smart. He gets shit done, and he's got those piercing eyes, cold, piercing eyes um, of someone who knows what he has to do to survive. So Ericsson would be my would be my leader. And actually, I have recently been having thoughts about who might be our next club captain. And alongside Kane, who is the obvious one, and Batongan, who I think is another good candidate, yeah. I think Ericsson would be an excellent choice. And that's another reason to, to make him stay at the club as well. That's an interesting choice because because when I've asked everybody else um, that question, or when I've answered it also myself, um, the, the obvious choices have been Dyer or 
Hugo by virtue of the fact that he's a club captain or Harry Kane. Dyer seems to be one that that, that, that comes up, but um, that's a first for, for Ericsson. Interesting. Yeah, I do like him. He's got a real football brain and he speaks very well off the pitch as well. I think he's someone who is, as he gets older and older, is commanding more and more respect. And I, I yeah. do see him becoming a leadership figure at the club. Yeah. And in terms of who I would eat, it has to be a balance between someone with a bit of meat on them but also someone that you won't miss that much. So I would go for Fernando Llorente. <laughs> so, um, and let's also say that him being around alive would just make you feel bad about yourself because he's so beautiful. So yeah, he's lost. He's also quite big. He's, he's quite, quite tall. Big, yeah. so, so, so there's a lot of him to go around. If might you get a whole share. leg. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, if you, if you were going to cook him, he'd probably probably be swift on his feet, moving more more so than when he when he's on a, on the pitch. Um, right, uh, the next podcast, the final podcast of this season, um, we'll be, we'll be recording a week Monday. Um, until then, firstly, thank you, Wendy. Thank you. Been a pleasure chatting with you both. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Bex. Top. And until next Monday, the future's bright. The future's lily white. Good night. Come on Tottenham, stick it in the goal Come on Tottenham, the pace so bloody slow You are the first team, the last team my dreams have ever seen Put on that lily white and run on to that green White Hart Lane has seen its pain, it's had its load of nights We've fought our team through thick and thin and all those boring nights And when the game is done we'll sing a song and talk it out all night Hey! Come on Tottenham, stick it in the goal Come on Tottenham, don't be so bloody slow You are the first team, the last team, my dreams have ever seen Pull on that lily white and run on to that green Oh, we've seen them come, we've seen them go, the names up on our shirt have failed as men are hailed and faces in the dirt. Now gather round and sing it out and we'll talk out over her.